It's been 20 years since Megan Bishop and I said bye-bye to high school and set off on our own separate courses. She actually jumped into sales in the alcohol industry much earlier than I did. So while I'm still in Virginia, we are sitting down to discuss her journey through golf courses, tennis lessons, winery tasting rooms, and all of that, which has led her to wine sales and distro. She definitely has the Irish gift of the gab and is here to share where that can take you and how her passion for wine has gotten her to where she is now. Let's go. Hello. Welcome to Courage and Other C-Words. I'm your host, Jen Root Martell, and thank you so much for joining me today. I really hope you've been enjoying the interviews recently. It's been so fun to hear some different entrepreneurial perspectives and how different women just came into the decision to jump into the deep end and disrupt an industry and make something new for the market. And I will do a little bit of a confession corner here and add that I swear I had every intention to sit down and write out an episode for the Cider Business listeners this week. And I promise I will get to that at some point very, very soon. I know I still have some information I would love to share about distribution contracts. I think it would be great to talk about yeast, about packaging. You can always talk about packaging. Even a convo about Hops Insider could be interesting, I think. So though I did have every intention of building something out like that this week, I came to the realization that I am now struggling with a bit of imposter syndrome on the other side of the business journey. So just to put it all out there, since the cidery is now wrapped up, I'm feeling a little funny talking about it, or maybe it's just a painful, or it's too sad. I don't know. It's I think it's kind of all of those emotions that I'm still working through. And I'm sure a perfectly objective conversation about contract terminology will just fit the bill for uh, for an episode at some point. I it just it did not materialize in time for this, so I do apologize for that. And I will get back to some kind of more original original content in in the coming weeks. However, I have something special for you today. As I sit here in Virginia after a few months of visiting with my parents and crashing on the couch. I was able to spend a lot of time reconnecting with old friends and just wandering around the old digs of my school days. It's funny how so many things do actually look very much the same, which is really weird. And yet I have to say, I think all of the roads and exits on 66 have changed in some form. So even though I feel like I know where I'm going, it turns out that I have no idea how to get there anymore and I have to depend on Google Maps 100% for everything, which for some reason is very embarrassing, but I guess that's progress. I don't know, growth, sprawl. I don't know what you call it, but um, it's it has been funny to come back after about 10 years <laughs> since moving away and and kind of seeing a whole different city and then some things that just, that just haven't changed at all. So we are still here for a hot minute. And we'll then move north to Massachusetts to see his family and then finally into our house in Maine around Thanksgiving, which I'm so, so, so excited about. In reconnecting with old friends, I was able to spend some quality time over the past few months with my best friend from high school, Megan O'Brien, now Bishop, 
who has actually also found herself in the alcohol industry. And even though we graduated from high school almost 20 years ago, she's still a hell of a lot cooler than I am. It was actually Megan who always could and probably still can talk herself into or out of any situation she finds herself in. It was Megan who grabbed me up by the collar and showed me how important it was to just get my damn nose out of the books for one second and look around, enjoy the time we're here, and maybe not take things so seriously. I owe a lot to her, and I will always be grateful that we met when we did, for her friendship and for her counsel. This episode does have the bones of a standard interview, as I honestly did want to get her take on her experience as a woman in sales in the alcohol industry and how she's made space for herself. But of course, we have to shoot the shit, talk way too much about Virginia wines and generally about being mothers as well, because who knows when we will be able to sit down and catch up like this again. So here it is. Enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I think I'm just going to go ahead and we'll just like launch into it. And then, yeah, I have some questions. I don't know if you, <laughs> a lot of this just becomes like super fluid. I was going to say, yeah. Conversational. It's just, I, I don't know. I feel like I have to always have something like written just in case. I know it's so out of character <laughs> that I need a script for everything. That you have to have the itinerary <laughs> out in front. Yes, yes, yes. All right. All right. Okay. You know what I didn't do is write anything down. Yeah, no. Who's <laughs> also not shocked. <laughs> This is the audiogram. Some things never change. Here we go. This is an excellent example. 20 years later. Yeah, weird. Oh, my God. Hilarious. Okay. I am back home in Virginia for at least a hot minute, and I feel like it's one of those things where I would be remiss to not sit down with one of my best friends because I think she's been in the alcohol industry for probably twice as long as I have over the years. I can safely say that's true. You can say, yes, exactly. And on a, on a consumption level and on a sales distribution level. It's called research, but sure, continue. <laughs> I'm so, so excited to actually sit down and in person, which is something that has not happened for what two years at least, with Miss Megan O'Brien Bishop. So Miss Ms. Megan Bishop. Meg? Megan. Yeah, well, I'm going to call you Jenny, and you apparently like to be Jen. So you go ahead and call me Meg, because I'd rather Megan. You would rather, rather Megan. All right, well, we'll go with Megan. So Ms. Megan is here sitting at my dining room table. Megan and I go way back, and this is, I would say, uh, high school. We were, I think, each other's, one of each other's only friends in high school. And and we really got each other through high school on an emotional, social <laughs> whatever. The balance was real. Yep. The balance was a real thing. Opposites attract as her mother, my mama root would tell you when she'd have me drag her out to let's say a drinking party. Sorry, underage. I don't condone that. I'm a mom now. Um, and so is she, but, but yes, to the extent that she'd also make me do my homework before we went to said party. So party. Yeah. Solid balance. It was a balance. It was a good balance. And we've stayed, stayed very close over the years. And it's been really fun to see kind of how your love of alcohol and your passion and just amazing knack for sales has really progressed over the years. So I, I think that this, this is going to be a really cool perspective for the people listening because you can, you can literally, we were just talking about this, you can sell ice to an Eskimo. And so I would love to just kind of go into that trajectory of what that kind of innate 
that innate skill, <laughs> where it got you and kind of why you chose the path you did. So we start all of, I start all of my interviews with really talking about the beginning and we've sort of already started because <laughs> you sort of start your career thoughts, potentially, maybe not you, but some people in high school. <laughs> very good point. Um, and so let's to, start there. To the extent of giving salespeople all the credit, it's not for everyone. So people do think that just, oh, you do sales, that must be so fun. That That's not the case. So I, I think I appreciate going back to high school and even prior to that, my tennis coach, which then became both of our tennis coaches, Derek Cheney. I'm sure he'll listen to this at some point now that he knows his name is in there. He should. I'll make sure. I'll but make sure perfect. That, Adam. Um, but he used to tell me and my mother and my parents that she needs to do sales. Like, and this was when I was like 11. <laughs> so he, he honestly, every time he'd see me and we'd be in a conversation, he was like, you have to sell something. Like you are the one that will be able to connect with any different type of person and be able to make a comfortable pitch. And I, I do appreciate that because that did filter into my very first sales gig of sorts was he was starting a tennis program in the summers. And he asked me as a 16 year old and said, I would really, I'm, oh, I'm tapping the table, which she you loves tap, when I do things. Oh, see, that's the, <laughs> my bad. So he actually put my cell phone number on his promo signs up and down Vienna, Virginia as the person to call to then pitch them the summer program and then to register them and then actually commissioned me on each person that then signed up for the six week program. So that was sort of a neat me feeling the responsibility of getting random strangers on the phone, convincing them to do said summer camp and then getting paychecks all of a sudden as a teenager. So, so that was the, was that the camp then that we both taught at over oh, the yes. summer? Oh, yes. No, oh, you were there too. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. Mm. You, you, you might be the, um, you know, more organized one of sorts, <laughs> um, but I'm not sure you would have liked fielding all those phone calls to <laughs> random people. Uh, so as balance goes, he picked me, but then also you to work because you had a big work ethic. So <laughs> that aside, I think that kicked off just sort of my, you know what? I, I can do this. I do enjoy doing this. I love talking to random people and meeting strangers which then dials into going to college, getting to know different alcohols of sorts, maybe, you know, mm -hmm. just sort of market research mm -hmm. and getting through college, graduated from James Madison University uh, with an English degree. So I can speak English. So yes. with a degree, I mean, that's, yes, that's really wonderful. So Good to job. the extent of, yes, <laughs> I made, made it. it. Um, made I it. have <laughs> the diploma to prove it. Um, and that actually projected me into family business, a family friend's business, which was golf course management. So getting into the golf course management was actually multiple years through college being the beverage cart person. That was during college. Mm -hmm. did that. Okay. Oh, yes. That. Yes. So as alcohol sales goes, that started early. <laughs> that was a fantastic job outdoors all day, you know, and it turned into then as I graduated, they knew I could sell alcohol or just sell. And so they sent me down to Florida to one of their golf courses that they had just acquired as the membership director. So all of this, I'm like, I am killing it. I am heading up the chain of sales. And this is fantastic. Until I arrived at said country club in Florida, 
only to be sort of presented with this membership of about 450 people, all at the average age of about 76. So bringing in new blood to a country club of people that literally were just trying to sell their equity because they thought they were going to die and they needed their family to have it. And all of that, I, I met great people there, not trying to say that I didn't enjoy my time, but that was in one of those sort of critical parts in my life where I was like, okay, this is not the right place for me. Mm. Also, this style of sales is not, you know, something that I want to continue on. Satisfying in any way. Not really at all. So I moved back to Virginia and ended up at a over the phone wine sales company. So as that sounds probably weird these days, even though the pandemic shut down and, you know, people were buying online and you can Amazon everything, this was pre all of that. So you were cold calling any given number in any given state and then presenting them with a wine they've never heard of. They've never tried. They have no idea why I'm calling in the middle of the day on a Tuesday at the doctor's office to ask them if they liked red or white just to get the conversation started. And then after you sold it, which I did most of the time, unless I was hung up on because it was again a Wednesday and like he was going into surgery and was like, I don't know you. Totally fair. But it did end up being something that as you ask somebody for their credit card over the phone for said product that they've never seen of, heard of, that really hit me as, wait, I am an in-person person. So while I enjoyed trying these wines for said strangers on the phone to say, I love it. You'll love it. Please give me your credit card number. That fizzled out because people were starting to get their identity stolen and things over the phone were just not comfortable and products you don't know that you're spending $600 on was not exactly something that I wanted to present to somebody because I didn't know them and I didn't have that personal relationship of meeting them and seeing them and That was just, thank you for your credit card, and I'll probably never talk to you again, but please enjoy the wine. So So. you weren't trying to get repeat customers. You were just trying to get a sell? Most of it was a, like, pressured sell. Mm. Like, they wanted sort of daily numbers. And then, yes, you hoped you could come back to said now not really stranger and present them with a new wine. But I think people felt uncomfortable with that, even though I'd talked to them on the phone. That's not... Like, at least people have more fun going to a Total Wine and finding Mm. Steve's favorite on the shelf and then finding Steve and talking to him about it versus... They could even go and, like, see the names of the wines or... (laughs) There was a website, I think, face value to show that it wasn't a total scam. Okay. Um, But because... And you were actually selling wine. And the wine, yes. was good wine. Like, I saw the wine and tried the wine. So, like, I, (laughs) I actually... Market research was real... But because it was so boutique that the rotating wines mm. couldn't be presented on the website because then that was sort of also in the script to say because they didn't want to have so many things available on the website where they weren't taking credit cards. Whatever. It was probably IT, too early for all it, that. Yeah. It was like the payment method had to be I'm literally writing it down oh on the God. piece of paper in front of me and handing it to the one that's now entering the order. So, oh, so much of like what we cringe at. Yeah. So much on a daily basis right now. <laughs> but that was, was how things happened then. Right. And this was well before even knowing like a lockdown could happen and you sure. wouldn't be allowed to be in a room with someone, you know, like, but yeah. you still got the feeling of like, this is not fun for me. Where did you even find these people? You're moving from management of a golf club. Like, 
you wanted to get back into alcohol. I, I believe. Or did I, it just like fall into your lap? I you were, believe I just like Googled wine sales oh. on like, you know, Craigslist job sure. listing site. And that was one of the first ones that popped up. And I was like, oh, my gosh, look, there is wine sales. I can damn it. I think I only clicked one. Didn't really do my due diligence to expand my horizons in that arena. So it just was the first one. And they called me immediately and we had an interview and they were like, sold. Like, <laughs> you obviously can talk on the phone just fine. So start on Monday. But that that fizzled out and in a good way because I then got back to my confidence level of like, I'm not trying to sell a membership to an 80 year old, you know, sure. in a gated senior citizens community, which I had to live in, by the way, that was fun. Um, So it got me back to, wait a minute, I do love doing this. I will continue to do this. But that was during sort of a crisis time. And I'm sure it hit everyone, but where you weren't getting, there wasn't a lot of jobs out there to spread out for the 20 somethings back in our day of 20 somethings. And I, I think it was my sister. Now I know it was my sister. Sorry, Kelly, I'll give you credit. She called me and said, hey, we could use your help at the country club she was working at. I was like, well, okay, different at the time, but it was teaching tennis. So a country club pro made good money. And then I became the program manager shortly after that because he had left. And so now I was selling again, but I was selling summer camps to the country club's Mm -hmm. kids. I was selling the clinics throughout the year. I was selling the men's flights program that they'd have their six week, you know, flights. And so it it was a good time. This is where I'd like. It paid the bills. Pause. Yeah, (laughs) it paid the bills. But it also like I joked with Jenny earlier that it got me in an environment that um, country clubs in the D.C. metropolitan area tend to have people that have certain expectations. I think that'll clear that up. But for me, I I don't, I don't want to approach someone as if they're anyone other than the person standing in the room with me, if that makes sense. A person. Just you're a person. We're going to talk. Like, let's see if we have common ground. And that's sort of in sales. You 80% is you want to make a relationship with somebody and get to know them. And then the 20% is the sales that comes afterwards, because then you know that somebody that likes working with you, you like working with them. The joke for my second day on the job to the extent that I knew I wasn't fired that day so I could sort of be me at this place was a hobo looking man came walking through the door to get his tennis court. And my boss who had hired me the day prior is sitting next to me trying to teach me the computer program. And this guy comes shuffling in and says, I need my court in 10 minutes. And I looked at him and said, you also need a new shirt because you've got holes all up here. And he was like, looked down and he was like, well, at that point, I guess, get me some new shoes. I was like, okay, hotshot, you go ahead and go get changed. You're going to be late. I will get you a shirt and shoes and you'll be allowed on the tennis court. Thank you. And he, he did this head tilt and I can feel my new boss just like panic was just <laughs> dripping off of him. And I was like, what is going? And the guy did a head tilt and said, you know what? I, I am kind of a hotshot, so I will see you in 10 minutes. I said, that's great, sir. Can't wait. As he shuffled up to the men's locker room, said boss looked at me and said, "Um, I'm sorry, but that was Supreme Court Justice Scalia that just came in for his tennis court. So we're going to need to have like a common ground as to how you um, (laughs) have rapport with certain people as they come in. 
And I said, well, okay, <laughs> but if I don't get fired today, does that mean that like I can sort of be me? And he was like, well, I guess we'll see. And then let's fast forward eight years later and <laughs> rest in peace, Justice Scalia. But yeah. we had a fantastic rapport and that's how I treated everyone there. And I think at times people are refreshed with just the genuine this is me. I'm going to talk to you as a person. Mutual respect is necessary and you can feel it on either side of the table. So, and they probably, I, I mean, that would create respect because you aren't going to be somebody who they can just like walk all over. That is correct. So there has got to be, I'm sure then it's like, Oh yes. Great. And I, <laughs> like, and I think they probably deal the with the, the yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. All day long. And you know, they had any numbers. Yeah. I, I would get tired of it. Like, mm, no, thanks. Yep. So that was the better part of a decade of, you know, just getting to know people. And you became a tennis professional. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> so you've always got that in your back pocket. I can always everything just, else goes to hell. <laughs> sure. Did have to go in and get that certification. Like, yes, Sounds I can hard. Hurt a forehand. It was. It was terrifying. I don't um, it's like it, nothing to It was 100%. Yeah, no, thanks. I'm, I'm good. I'm sticking with wine sales. So if anybody was curious, I'm still moving You're along. You're not setting up lessons. I'm Don't not. I'm lessons. not. No, thank you. And if any of those signs are still in Vienna, Virginia, <laughs> please assume that is expired and void. Please call Megan O'Brien. 703. <laughs> <laughs> See what you did there. So that then turned into starting a family. And at the time, I was out in sort of further out of D.C. and was not trying to commute, like, into the area to work. That was, yeah, it was brutal. Funny, my husband and I got married at a vineyard. Shocking. Um, (laughs) Little addition there. I had to convince my mother that the burgundy and gold colors was because I, you know, red and white wine. And the whole theme works. Um, So we got married at a beautiful vineyard. And... Fast forward to now I'm out there and I've started a family. And one day I was like, I need to get back to work. And I emailed the owners of the vineyard we got married at and pretty much said, I will, I will pick grapes. I will Mm -hmm. prune. I will vacuum the tasting. I don't care, but please put me back in a space that like, first I enjoy. It's beautiful out here. The rolling hills of all the vines just make you happy. Like, Some people like palm trees. I like grapevines. You know, it's just that, like, this is my happy, safe space. And And their space was beautiful. It was just one of those, like, you know. Really idyllic, yeah. Exactly. A really nice country. The Amish redid this barn up Mm -hmm. to this. It just was a really nice feel. So they got back to me and said, yeah, you're good to come in and pour wine. We'll take you. And I was like. Oh, so actually work in the tasting room. Tasting room. Yep. Yep. It was immediately in the tasting room. And to this day, I'm still friends with uh, the tasting room manager at the time, but she had been there for a bit. And I, I, I think my sort of jump in running and take over and make the most sales in a day kind of rubbed her a little bit the wrong way because, you know, she thought she was training me that day. And I was like, oh, no, no, I got this. Don't worry. Just throw me as many groups as you want and I will get through the day, no problem, sign up 10 memberships, like it, you just go sit and she's like, okay. To which I did that day. I literally took every group that came in and sold, I think, a dozen memberships in the first day. So that got <laughs> not me Not your first rodeo. Not mine, not at all. And that actually, then I got into the management office for the vineyard. And one day, because anytime I'd be out at a restaurant or I'd be out somewhere, and this is when it really started kicking off like the support local. 
Like the mm. breweries were coming in, cideries were coming in, you know, like this was Virginia branded. Please support. I think I'd mentioned that, you know, beer had always been mm. available at any restaurant. And, you know, like that was the draft item. And so this, you know, when you could go out and eat out whenever you wanted. And I'd go and I'd end up talking to the bartenders because I can't help talking to everybody who's sitting near me. <laughs> and I started, you know, saying, what? why don't you have any Virginia wine, even as like one or two things on your wine list? And they're like, well, most of the time they're like, well, we hadn't even thought about it. And I was like, I, you have Virginia beer, like <laughs> Virginia wine is just another alcohol that you could serve. So, Which is I, funny also because the beer, I feel like the craft beer in Virginia, it's been around, but it's still like relatively getting off. Yeah, it wasn't like fully established right, as exactly. Virginia is known for their craft beer. But wine, granted, not as intense and reputable as like Napa. Had a lot Sonoma, more of a pass fail um, process, but so, has been around for a while. But you're right; it has. Yeah, it struggled. It, you couldn't consistency was you know something that I'm sure people were a little. Oh well, we <laughs> want to make sure year in and year out. And what's What's really cool about something like Virginia wine is that it is very small production and boutique and mm. each vintage is very different. And I don't know if anybody listening understands the Virginia weather patterns, but there there's no actual like seasons but to do be tell. set. Yeah, yeah, there's there's no as consistency goes, there is absolutely zero. So it could it could snow tomorrow and then be 92 degrees 72 hours after that. Mm. It just and so that is a struggle, but that makes for the passion for that winemaker to all of that labor, 365 days a year, mm. can be ruined if you're not monitoring. And so production obviously stays labor intensive and smaller, which makes for a very niche group of winemakers that could present phenomenal wines to boutique spots. This is not something that was going to be at a grocery store or be at a Total Wine or be at Costco. They don't make enough, which makes that fun boutique niche place special to those that go there because you can't, again, just go down your street to giant and find any given X, Y, and Z, which I really appreciated. I think even at an earlier age than getting to the vineyard of just small production, the passion to the bottle, the story behind it, the winemakers, you know, actual work in day in and day out. There's no rest, you know, like they, and I got to be in the production building after I'd started in the management office, which was right above all of the steel tanks and mm. the barrel room. And I was just absorbing all of this, like what actually happens behind the scenes, not just, you know, what I was drinking every night out of the bottle. Like there's <laughs> actually a very long process to that. And I was then presenting that to said bartender that I'm sitting with and just going, you, you don't understand some of these wines, like not only do they have a fantastic story, but we have a lot of up and coming winemakers in the area. And why don't you buy it? And they're like, well, nobody's ever presented it to us. And I was like, ha, huh, okay, interesting. Now things are starting to make more sense. So I went the following day to the management office and I looked at the GM, who's now a really close friend of mine. And I was like, Matt, I can I just start distribution? Like I, so they had had none, none. It was just taproom sales. It and was events. right. Just tasting weddings. room events and weddings. <laughs> exactly. So okay. sort of all on campus of the vineyard Interesting. without scaling out to some of those like family owned restaurants and the ones that, you know, like, you're, yes, I'm not taking it to an Applebee's. Like you, you want to find that fun environment that would have somebody appreciate it being on the wine list. So pretty much overnight I started the distribution branch 
of the two vineyards. There was two at that point. So they were sister vineyards, same winemaker. I will throw her name all over this, Corey Craighill. <laughs> so if you guys are ever in the Virginia area, she's back in Charlottesville at Septenary. And she is a force to be reckoned with. A year after she started with us, she got Loudon's Winemaker of the Year. She was all mm. of 30 years old. I mean, all of the OG winemakers have said, look, follow her like she is going to be the next. So, Corey, I'm not lying. So when I force you to listen to this, you know I've told you that multiple times. Um, <laughs> but it was something that to the extent of I can sell this, like I can take it out and I can make distribution work. And he looked at me and said, well, OK, you're going to be all of a team of one. So, right, you know, we yeah. don't have and I was like, you're signing yourself up for <laughs> totally fine. I get it. So, you know, I was the one walking in and cold calling said restaurants or wine buyer and then setting up the tasting and then doing said tasting and then invoicing and then delivering. So I I was the one-stop shop, which created, though, a very friendly relationship with all the people I dealt with because it was just me. You know, like I was showing up. They knew what I was bringing. They knew delivery would happen when I told them it would because I was in control. (laughs) Jenny, I think, gave me a little bit of that control freak edge (laughs) that um, I do appreciate because you need that. Can't just be aloof all day long. And it did. It it all of a sudden, like we were at the nearby restaurants and the Airbnbs and people were picking it up for events elsewhere outside Mm. of, a you know, like they wanted Virginia wine and they were doing it at a venue, you know, within 10 miles. And that was something that I would set up and deliver and be able to expand into that market. And from all of that leading up, I think that was like the better part of a decade, six, seven years. And now we get to 2020. Yay, oh, COVID. Look at that. <laughs> it's all the pre and the post and the new normals and the, you know, and so as overnight goes, like I keep saying things will happen that way as lockdown just everybody, everybody knows. I don't know why I'm preaching to said <laughs> audience that's like, yeah, I lived it too. So All of that shut down everything and we had to get creative just like everybody did. And so we were doing, you know, virtual Zooms. We were doing the restaurants that could allow the curbside pickup, Mm -hmm. like literally the brown bag on the curb, not to be seen, but they were including a bottle of wine for an additional 20, you know, so we were still being able to crank it out. Did you have like a wine, did you have wine club? We had a wine club through the tasting room. So there right, was wine club right. so members. There was at least something they, coming they, in. Yeah. Okay. So their shipments would be either available. We would ship like we would any other time or again, curbside. It's sitting right. on the curb. Come pick it up. So right. things were still, the management office was still operating. It was just at any given Zoom call and computer. Mm-hmm. And my accounts were still, you know, we were supporting them by promoting their family meal or whatever. And they were supporting us by sure. adding additional, you know, of our bottles to go out and, you know, don't need to get into the hairy scary of all of what happened there. But that ended up sort of crumbling with said ownership. Sometimes people shouldn't be on their property of said given, you know, what they, they should just be vacationing, but they couldn't anymore. <laughs> yeah, we'll get past that. So, well, a lot of a lot of people we've talked I've talked to on this podcast, they are very hands on small business owners. And then there are some that should maybe know their limits and delegate accordingly. As as (laughs) grown people and common sense and all of the equations that should get you there, 
Instead, what they did was throw a grenade into the management office that had all worked together for five years and literally mass fired everyone. All right. Um, well, or that. To the extent of, you know, the silver linings in life, all of those people that are passionate in this industry, I mean, literally ones that were going to make anything happen because they love the small production, the product, the they've all filtered into new positions, all still in the wine industry and wow. in places that appreciate them. Mm. So. That's Let's good. all try to throw some positive to the negative. Everyone action. landed. Everyone <laughs> landed. And so all of my people are safe and landed, and that <laughs> makes me feel great. But once, you know, things started to, the light at the end of the ish tunnel, you know, was happening. And I'm sure any other mom or parent in general, you know, like once you were home for a very long time with your kids and you love your kids. Um, I love my kids. <laughs> But it Say just, one more time. <laughs> I, I, love, I love my kids. Um, so when they listen to this, what, 20 years from now, um, I love you. Uh, but it was something that for those that love their work and love what they do or just love that they own something, I had to get back to work. And relationships, I'll get back to, you know, what was it, 20 minutes ago, relationships are real. Like yeah. people, and so I kept in touch with my accounts, just texting and how are you doing? How are your kids? My kids driving me nuts, but I love them. <laughs> um, and so getting through that, I still had connections in the industry and through one of my accounts who knew a different distributor in the area had me come out to help a private tasting. He was a beer guy. He always mm -hmm. knew me as the wine person. And so he said, please come do this tasting with this distributor. Let me know what the shop needs, what you think, you know, mm -hmm. consumers are getting into right now. And I was like, oh, thank you so much <laughs> Get me for out getting of me house. out of my house. <laughs> and I got there and met this distributor overnight. We became super good friends. And then a month later, I'm at International Cellars. Mm -hmm. So it was something that just, you know, things happen for a reason. And now all of a sudden I've gone from two Virginia vineyards and that portfolio of sorts to a 21 page of international wines and domestic wines, but the entire mission statement is based on small production producers and wines. Wow. So it actually landed me back in that niche boutique passion in the bottle that got me there in the first place because I, I, I'm not there for a grocery store wine. You know, like I'd, people need it. It's out there. At any, but there are such phenomenal wines that people don't realize until they have the experience at a wine dinner or something that they can actually like hear the story because there is a story. You know, it's not just it's the end shelf at Costco and it'll be there for the next five years and probably has enough in it to hold it there for the next five years. <laughs> even. I, joking aside, there is a difference between a small production wine and a mass produced wine. And that's always going to be where I land is in the small production portion. So now it's been 18 months, I think, being with international sellers, uh, totally expanding to what I thought. I knew plenty of different wines from mm. drinking in my market research life. <laughs> and there's everything from, I mean, we have a whole page of Lebanese wines that are amazing and grapes I've never heard of. And just recently, here's a story for the, you know, passion in a bottle story. A husband and wife team, this is a Lebanese vineyard, and they fly into Virginia to do the sales pitch for the sales meeting for our whole group. They met at Notre Dame. 
She's from Boston. He's Lebanese. They meet in college. He had been doing IT after college. Their whole gig sent them to London. They'd been living in London for a bit. And I guess it just kept eating at him that his small town in Lebanon, which was destroyed during the war, I mean, essentially wiped down to the grounds of nothing left. He always wanted to bring his town back to life. And after making enough money in the IT world, he went back to his town, started planting the vines, and now have the entire town back as employed, either helping the harvest, starting restaurants again. I mean, it's it, it gives me goosebumps as I like reiterate it. And I'm not even doing it justice mm-hmm. because he's in tears in our warehouse office, just re-explaining, I, this is something I knew needed to happen. And I wanted people to understand that Lebanon does do phenomenal wines, but also for the people in the community and the everything full circle came to some of the best wines we have in our book. That no one has ever heard of. That no one has ever heard of. <laughs> and he actually said when he does sales uh, at any given restaurant, he will go brown paper bag it um, mm. with the psalm and ask the psalm, you know, like, well, where do you think this is from at least? <laughs> like, you don't even have to, you know, give me the varietal, but where do you think? And so many times they're like, oh, this is a Bordeaux for mm. sure. Like, I can just tell. And he lets them go through their whole psalm life of us. I know it's a Bordeaux. Like, that's all the aspects of the grapes are being shown until they finish. And he reveals that, yes, that is Bordeaux grapes, which I have planted in Lebanon. And this is fully produced as a Lebanese wine. Um, One of the, what everybody should take also from that story, which I found sort of sad in the story, but for the hand cells of wines that nobody knows about, a lot of the big steakhouses and the people that carry it actually put it in under their French section on the wine list just because nobody knows mm. that the quality coming out. And that's what he's trying to change. And yeah. a lot of our others in the book are trying to get out in the market so that there could be a Lebanese section on the wine list that people wouldn't ignore. And that's the stuff that gets me super pumped about taking it out there and having people try it without knowing you know, what the label says or where it's from until, and actually as sales strategies go, and if anybody wants unsolicited advice from me, (laughs) my sales director even gets a kick out of it that I will not give the bottle price at a tasting until the end of the tasting. Mm -hmm. So I hide all pricing, go through the tasting, and then it's, what do you think? Did you like it? Do you think your customers, because one of the best examples last week was I did that with a Psalm at a resort and she knows her stuff. I mean, she's got the PhDs and this and a master's in that. And it's just finishing up her champagne class. She is no joke and had her go. And she kept going back to the Pinot Grigio is it's beyond like, I, I, I've never even really enjoyed a Pinot Grigio <laughs> to the end of it. I give her the price point and she literally curses at me and was like, shut the F up. I was like, <laughs> usually very put together but i gotcha like and i know that she would have and all of us would would have been biased if you saw the price you would just assume 
that's not a quality wine. Oh, because it was low. And yeah. it was low mm-hmm. it, because that's a producer that we direct import from them. So mm-hmm. they give us a great price because they want customers to enjoy it without feeling sticker shock. Like they want that to be a talking point at a dinner party. They mm-hmm. actually want people to enjoy wine without them feeling like you have to spend $60 on one bottle of wine. So it would have been very easy to totally dismiss it. Completely. And probably not even taste it. And she and I, not to her fault alone, no, I mean, course. even that's anybody, just, if you yeah. look at it and you're like, oh, that's cheap, so I'm probably not going to like it. It's exactly. probably going to taste cheap. And your senses are already shot before you even get it to the nose, to the taste, to the... So that's always been my strategy because it surprises people. And there's some of the really expensive stuff that people are like, eh, it's not really my, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. like, it's perfectly fine. Everybody's palate is their own palate. I... Slightly judge sometimes, but there's generally no judging in wine tasting. Like, that's good. That's good. You know that because if you had seen that that was the most expensive thing on the tasting, you might have convinced yourself that you loved it because you had to because it was expensive. And that makes no sense. The wine should speak for itself. The story should be behind the wine. The winemaker should have the passion behind that story. And then all of it creates your experience in drinking. And you're not just cracking open like a Robert Mondavi and calling it a day. Like you want to actually be able to enjoy from point A to point B to the finale. (laughs) And I drink all of these for you. So if any, you know, (laughs) trust me, I'm still working through the portfolio, but there's a lot of stuff that I'm still learning and having a company that's based around that, that has these winemakers flying in from all over the world to do market work with us just to present it to our accounts. Usually it's a supplier. So here's a funny story because I got plenty of them. (laughs) Um, But usually it's a supplier that's sort of the brand ambassador and they'll come in and they'll ride along and you take them to the few and then they can do the, because they know a few more details than I, and then I can take in all of that to translate the following time. But I had just done back-to-back ones, and my sales director was like, please, I I think they, my coworker got COVID, weird. Mm-hmm. So she obviously had to bail on that day, and she was like, please, I really, I know it's last minute. And I was like, I'll figure no. it out. I've, I've got my people, my relationships that I can text and say, can I please just swing in? And so I get to the office to pick up this guy, and it's the winemaker from New Zealand that has just flown in. Oh, my God. I'm expecting a supplier, you know, that that's not to say that they're not their time is else but i here's the winemaker that's flown across the world to try to do some of this market work he was fantastic we had a great time and he even appreciated the ones that i could get to the last one was just sort of my local neighborhood bar that you know like is they've always supported me with the virginia vineyards and so she was like absolutely bring them in last minute Again, didn't know it was the winemaker. So our final stop was at this restaurant, and he became like the entertainment. Oh, my gosh. Because they were like, I mean, these are all super great bartenders, sort of like upper 20s, low 30s. <laughs> they're, they're still drinking like fireball at tailgates. Like, you know, but all of a sudden this New Zealand winemaker comes walking in. And he's trying them through. He's He gave them all the respect in the world. Like, I want you to enjoy this. Like, try these two Sauvignon Blancs. He's giving them the red carpet tasting. And then they turn around and they're like, wait a minute. Have you ever had ranch? I was like, oh, no, no. What? what, what? Oh, no, and no. luckily, this was the last trip of the day. And so he had been hungry. And I think at this point, a little tipsy because I was driving. So he got to be the passenger. And, and I'm not going to do the New Zealand accent. But he said ranch back with a question mark. And they're like... 
somebody get this man some ranch. So oh, now the entire no. bar is watching <laughs> as they then realize they could give him Old Bay fries to dip in the ranch. And I, the mind-blowing action. And he was loving it. I mean, it was like... He was like, well, Welcome to I've, America. Welcome I've had a fry before, but what is Old Bay? Is it old? You know, like he's... And they're like, oh my... And it, it's... That's like the people who actually love what they do. So this was not like he was not offended by this end of the day trip. Also didn't know it was going to be the winemaker that I'm bringing into said bar, who I'm just friends with all of them now. And we had a great time. But it's a lot of those bigger sort of companies, you can get that arrogance that if, you know, like, let's say I brought some dude from Silver Oak, overrated, by the way, but sorry, Silver Oak, when this goes viral, they would have probably walked out. You know, like, this is below me. Like, the arrogance would have just been, like, dripping off of them. Everybody would have felt it, and it would have been a completely different. No, this is a guy that's like, I would love to try, like, have you try all my yeah, wines. No and then, sale is too small. Yeah. No, exactly. And even if they bought or didn't buy, he just wanted to give everybody his passion. Like, yeah. it, it just... And they will probably be drinking New Zealand wines for the rest of their lives. And they will seek it out and they will absolutely. I mean, I think one of the bartenders already ordered it through the restaurant personally because she wanted to bring it to her family's Sunday dinner because nice. she was like, I've got to tell them I drank with the winemaker. What an you know, like it's story. A, to yeah. them, that was incredible. And, and and he got to have Old Bay dipped in ranch oh, for the yeah. first time in his life. So it's a, I mean, that sounds like a. Like an equal, equal it's a great gift. You, you just poured your $72 Sauvignon Blanc that you spent, yeah. Countless uh, hours on. Yeah, many times in the cellar. But here's yes, here's a... Here's some Hidden Valley. Oh, yeah, it's a god. I think they made in-house ranch, so let's, right. let's give so them the... Up. Thank okay, you. I, I wouldn't right. take them to just any neighborhood <laughs> bar. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the great. difference, and I think it's what I'm trying to present is... Sure. My passion is small production, it's got to have a story, and if it doesn't, it, it just it loses me. It sounds like this portfolio is crazy huge, and your boutique wines. So that means it's constantly rotating because things are blowing through vintages, right? Yeah, it's a hundred percent. So that's got to be also a little mind blowing to try to like do. You, what would be your because you can't sell just Virginia, even though you obviously have a huge passion for Virginia wine. So what what is kind of your strategy to kind of balance out all of that? So at least they've created a good section of core brands. Okay. So the ones that like our DIs are, you know, direct import to us. So they're not going to other distributors like sprinkled out. So let's say out of any given vintage, we're getting 120 cases at any given drop, mm-hmm. which is a pretty good inventory. So you you'd know, be the hold. only ones in, in the U.S. Yes. Distributing it. Oh, very cool. Like okay. it literally says on the back, imported by international oh. sellers and then if a distributor on the West Coast, then they go through us. And then even oh. when they distribute it to their people, it's still imported by international sellers. Oh, very cool. The owner of this company is, as strategies go, brilliant because I'm sure anybody in the industry and knows even COVID aside, that logistics and getting mm-hmm. things imported, paperwork, delays, gas prices, truck drivers, I mean, you name it. He realized that years ago and created our own international sellers transport branch of the company. So we actually do our own logistics to get the wine from point A to point B. So they have the core brands that you generally feel good that will have inventory or we know where it's coming. You know, we can put the PO out there when it's getting low. And then you have the smaller ones that you do have to be careful that you're not making that a placement somewhere that wants it by the glass for the next five years because Mm -hmm. 
no, you're going to want to put this back on the shelf or if somebody asks specifically and let them know it's, you know, that we only got, let's say, 27 cases of it. And then right. that's being divvied up with all the accounts for, I think we're a sales team of 12 now. I think I was lucky number 12. <laughs> and so you, you do have to play a, a game of tracking inventory daily almost because somebody could have a big sale and you just showed that wine the day before, but you didn't realize that just wiped out 10 cases of that 27 cases. And so it, mm, it, it's a balance. Yeah, I think what, in the first 60 seconds, sales is not easy. Yeah. Like is it, anybody out there that is doing it, like it is not. And yes, I love what I do, but the amount of times that people give me the, wow, I'm so jealous. I wish I could quit my job and mm-hmm. sell wine. And I'm like, yeah, okay, it's, yeah, no, you're right. That's fun. Um, not, not that easy, yeah. you know, like it's a, and just like breweries and just like cideries and just distributors, they're a ton now. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people picked it up as sort of their side hustle and got the paper. I mean, it's not just you're dealing with two big distributors and then a couple small production ones. It's dozens breaking into a new account, let's say. Really hard to do if they're already dealing with three different distributors. Mm-hmm. Organization alone, they're like, I, I don't want to have to try to put in orders with eight different people. Yeah, like, I, I don't want one more invoice. Yeah, I, right. I and I understand that. So then you have to break through that gate of just listen. There is some stuff that you really won't find anywhere else. And if they're up for it, you're like, great, let's set up the tasty. But if they're not, you just move on to the next. One, because you can't let you can't let your I guess your competence get hit by that because it's not so much that you're not selling or the product's not selling. It's just it's sort of flooded the market with people going out and doing these sales. So it's again, it's not easy, <laughs> though. I do love it and I enjoy it. And market research is fantastic. Yeah. But that's weird. Let me bring back again. Relationships are real. Like yeah. you, you do. They're seeing distributors all week, new or old, or, you know, you name it. And so you just want to present your best self. You don't want to be fake. Sorry, if somebody wants me to be, then we probably just won't work well together. So that's, you know, that's how I figure out why, you know, I can continue on with accounts that I've had for, you know, 10 years ago that the moment they heard I was with international sellers, they said, bring me stuff tomorrow. Like, let's taste. I miss you. I'm so glad you're back on the road. So that's really where you would say you need, that's the most important piece of doing what you do is creating those relationships. And we've talked a lot about on this podcast of just, yeah. And some of your, some of your, those relationships are going back to from day one that are still with you. And those are the ones that are supporting you throughout everything, which is just so critical, but just shows kind of the duration and people don't forget. No, they don't forget good things. They don't forget bad things. (laughs) It works both ways. I'm, I'm sure it's probably difficult like running out of things for people like that, but that boutique, but comes with the territory of what you're selling. Right. So it's like, there's always gonna be that conversation, but that shouldn't be hindering the relationship to the point where they're like super like, Oh, I'm done because I can't get the wine. Like, right. That's what I'm selling. That's the point. Right. Here's and that's this it. one that will fit in right. And or follow up next to it. And I, I think I'm, I'm honest to a fault. So yeah. I, they do know that I'm going to give you the actual, you know, yeah. we're running low. It could be three weeks until the next drop, you know, lands at the warehouse. Are you okay with a replacement or do you want to try? And they're like, thank you for giving me the heads up. Yeah. We trust your replacement. Let us know when, you know, the yeah. wine on the wine list. And 
as long as there's somebody that trusts you and knows that you're doing everything you can to track down where that freight is and to give them almost daily reports of like, <laughs> it's coming, I promise you, they know I'm actually doing the groundwork to make sure that it comes over. So yeah, and it's so important to do create that trust with all of that work. That's a lot of work. It's well, yes, that <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with it because <laughs> that's it's what I do for my people. But it, it is a lot of on top of, let's say, <laughs> handling all of my other accounts that are either moving smoothly or not. And one of the best things at this company is that we have a warehouse and a warehouse team and they pick the wines and they put them on the trucks and they deliver the wine. So that is pulled off of my plate from when I was the one-stop shop until a ball is dropped or the wrong wine is delivered or, you know, and that's out of my control now. And then, so I'm sort of a handful of times fielding calls from Megan, I ordered a case. Only 11 bottles came because they didn't just check that, yes, the box has been opened. So probably one sample bottle was pulled, but they did order 12. Mm. Like They didn't want 11. So you have any number of, and in anything. I'm sure you've heard everything. Yeah. Yeah, In anything, you get either an issue here or there and stuff, but. It's human error. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's real. Anybody needs advice and they work at a company like that? Um, always feed your warehouse. I was just about to say. Um, <laughs> What's oh, the cookie? It's the cookie advice. <laughs> oh, 100%. I mean, I will randomly just bring either like a thing of like 100 wings or like a pizza because they are doing the grunt work. Yeah, like they're, and they're, yeah, and they're fielding hundreds of orders a day going to all over Virginia, Maryland, D.C. You know, the human error is real. But when... Some sales reps will walk in and expect, well, where are my samples? I put them in hours ago and the warehouse is looking at them like, oh yeah, we've been doing nothing all day. So I'm so sorry I haven't pulled your six bottles for your tasting tomorrow. (laughs) Um, Please, can you give us 17 minutes? I'm coming in with like a platter of pizza. And I'm like, you guys, whatever you're good, Mm -hmm. I'll wait, eat, please. Um, It's just appreciating people, I think in life. So that's sort of common sense down to humanity's sake of good like takeaway in general for just all just be good to people of your life a, yeah yep people appreciate that um and that you know I'm, I'm a little bit of a believer in karma too you know like sure. if you you try to just keep rolling that in a good way versus the opposite and so that's just that's my take on that yeah no and i mean this podcast alone i'm soliciting it so go ahead and <laughs> keep providing advice because i'm sure it's helpful for some people who are in the trenches and it it does get very overwhelming. Yeah, and I feel like that should be common sense in life, yeah. except that it seems to lose itself somewhere. Some people don't uh, walk the walk. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Whatever the, whatever the, uh, <laughs> the words are. But, yeah, well, that's amazing. And I feel like you all through this, you've also been juggling. You mentioned it, but you've been juggling two amazing kids. Yeah, oh, it's a good point you bring that up. Bryson okay. turns four next weekend. Nope. This weekend. No. It's close enough. Next weekend. <laughs> I love you. It's I love, soon. <laughs> I love my kids. Um, it's soon. It's coming. And then, yeah, seven and a half and four. So, and they are, you know, obviously a lot. And anybody with boys or girls, uh, kids are a lot. That's a they're lot of different. energy that you I mean, there's different you, ways of being a lot, I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have a girl and she's delightful and will like play blocks. And I'm like, that's funny. Mine are just throwing them. <laughs> throwing them. Um, but it, it is like they uh, <laughs> like I, I can't get through the grocery store, let's say, without walking by the wine section and them asking me if I need to go to work. 
So Aww. they they do know, like I think they like appreciate you know they pay attention and are just like oh mommy look it's your work Aww. do you need to walk down there no it's grocery store wine guys no mean, good gracious please don't embarrass me that's dear though that they've picked up on that on the good side of sales is like you do have flexibility you're not in yeah. a Monday to Friday nine to five you know like if one of the kids is sick everybody understands you get boots on the ground the following day and, you know, double up, but there's nothing that would keep me from being able to take care of that. And it, it, which is really lucky. I mean, there's a lot that don't have that ability to, if the school calls like, all right, yep, let me text my accounts and tell them I'll see them Friday. So I do appreciate that part too. And don't think I could ever turn that around into a Monday to Friday, nine to five, but more power to everybody that does. (laughs) That's gotta be a grind too. Well, and you're in the car a lot. You know, a lot of people would probably see that and like running around constantly. That's that's a grind too. I mean, it has its own it's its own grind, but the flexibility has got to be yeah, that's got to be amazing. Gas prices suck, Um, but other than tracking that financial end of the budget, (laughs) Andrew, my husband, loves to see how much gas I've gone through in in a given day. You know, I'm like, can you just? Like you work remotely now. Right. You work yeah, you from home. Like the balance is real. We used to have two cars using gas. Now we only have one. Like, what are you talking about? I'm just making up for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> one car. Getting that balance right back to the original budget. So don't worry. It'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, why else did I get a Prius? God, I needed to rack too many miles. And you do, but you have to. You have to do that legwork. That's yep. true. Because oh. you've got to be seen. You have to. I feel like texts and emails, to a point, they're fine. But they, you got to. You got to do the FaceTime for sure. Yeah. I'm not going back to phone sales. Yeah. So, no, that's yes, all. Yeah. I, you also I, are, have that history. Bring, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nope. I am much more an in your face kind of person if I haven't presented that yet. Now, would you say that because you're, when you were starting out at the, the wineries who will not be named, um, <laughs> do you, people were like, I hadn't even thought about Virginia wine. Mm-hmm. Now that was, X number of years ago, decade-ish. What do you feel like the, the tide has turned and that wine in Virginia is getting a better rap? And it's definitely more visible. Um, wine lists generally in a positive within way. the in a yeah. positive will have maybe one white, one red. That's still um, not a lot. It's not, but it it huh. mm-hmm. how to explain like Virginia was really coming on the up and up and COVID effed everything up. But that sort of created a rotating door of winemakers that were expected to do the impossible. And so they've left. And if a sports fan, it's like losing a quarterback, right? Like it's going to be one to two seasons, one to two vintages before that's consistently up to where the new winemaker wants it to be. And so that can create sort of the ripple effect of, well, if they're not established or they just got a new winemaker, like we're not going to play that game because we can't have this printed on a list and then... Present it to customers and have that. So yeah, and there's a learning curve, I'm sure, with your the varietals you're using and the climate, like you said. Do you think people were actually? Because I mean, on the retail side, people just left the industry. Like, do you feel like that happened then too on that production side as well in wine here? A a lot of or they went somewhere else. Winemakers went somewhere else. Oh okay. Yeah, like Corey before even COVID was a word. She felt, I think, the tide turning in where we were and how ownership was sort of treating. Mm. And 
she originally came up and apprenticed under a French winemaker in Charlottesville area, which for Virginia, if people know Charlottesville, UVA of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody at this table went to UVA and it wasn't me. Uh, But she went back to her old stomping grounds because that's where she came up. And I I will, the story makes loud and sound bad, but it, it, it was, it's actually, you know, fact that, um, the first time I ever went to Charlottesville for the wine tour, where, you know, the Thomas Jefferson Vineyard, like all of the ones that really like kicked the off original, the original Virginia gangsters. Of, yeah. Exactly. Um, so as established goes, that's where it was. And I went with Corey and everywhere we went. I mean, mm-hmm. she was like the local celebrity that was back in town. And all of a sudden, like her phone's blowing up. Corey, oh, my gosh, I found out you're back in town. Please can like so-and-so I'm calling him. We're all going to get together. And within 14 minutes of us crossing into the Charlottesville area, we had gotten an invitation to a outdoor brick oven pizza party of friends that she had had when she'd worked there. And she's looking at me. She's like, is it okay if we go? And I was like, I'm just along (laughs) for the ride. All right. I didn't realize Hollywood that we were going (laughs) to. So we roll up to this house and it's the Gabriel Rousey house, which is one of the most established vineyards in the area there. And as everybody's and they all brought different vegetables from their farm mm-hmm. on their vineyards. They had an outdoor brick oven space. And as they're all popping these different pizzas in and out and like, you know, talking to court. But now they're all talking to each other. Right. So I'm in this circle of sorts, all in like tree logs and stuff like that. And I'm looking around and I'm like, holy mother of God, these are all the winemakers of Charlottesville Mm. all collaborating with one another about the upcoming harvest. And Mm. Hey, is your petite men saying, are the bricks getting too high yet for you? Because I think I want to pick it on Thursday or somebody else saying like, you're going to lose acidity if you don't pick. And and so they're all literally bouncing ideas off of each other. Like as a a community, as a team of winemakers trying to make the best wine for people to come at any given drop down the street, you know, that amazing. I was First, the rookie of the crowd was like, I am not going to speak up right now. I'm going to take this all in. Like, yeah. please, nobody ask me about anything. Starstruck. Um, I totally was. <laughs> and then turn around to sort of in our area, which is a little bit of that D.C. political, like all mm-hmm. of that leaks into sort of anybody's mentality where people in this area are sort of out to backstab you. I mean, there is if anybody can trash somebody else down the street because, oh, did you hear that they got Brett in their barrels? So their vintage is going to have uh, Brett Akakis. Mm. It's a, not a great thing. It not smells good, yeah. like a Yeast. manured barnyard as mm. you open the wine. So not great. They're trying to now take each other down, which then that rotating door of winemakers, nobody's there to help each other. No. So if it's not, and no becoming, one wants to stay and nobody's going to stay because yeah. why would you, when everybody else down the road is going up and down and up and down and you know, like the consistency isn't pulling and I hope that changes. I I honestly, I hope that somehow people wake up to realize mm-hmm. it, it, it's a collaboration of all of you to make everyone successful, to have that be a destination place where people will walk out of there and go, Virginia is really starting to lock it down. You know, like I'm yeah. going to buy this and bring it home to California just to do a side by side of, you know, and fingers crossed, but you you do have to deal with some of that and understanding that that's why inconsistency will happen because if you don't have somebody that's been loyal and the winemaker and has been there for eight, nine years and, you know, 
knows what they're doing. You can't have somebody leave every 18 months. Yeah. You're just never going to have. Especially when it sounds like it's really impacts. It's so much impacts the the quality of the wine that's being made. The years to follow. Yeah. Right. It's not the overnight like, oh, I'll just take over now in this barrel room and we're going to crank out five star stuff. Right. Not a chance. Fingers Mm. crossed. Everybody could do that (laughs) because it does. You know, it makes me sad as my original like getting into it and starting the distribution and being behind the product and promoting Corey everywhere and setting up wine dinners and having people have the experience of the winemakers coming to the dinner, you know, just like the New Zealand guy coming out. She was the VIP, you know, they were like, wow, this is amazing. She can tell us about why she picked, you know, it's the starstruck thing, Sure, but you want the person to enjoy what they're doing too. So, you know, you can't pull cranky pants into the (laughs) wine dinner. That's like, I'm, half my foot's out the door, but like, yeah. sure, that's Cab Franc in your glass, everyone. Like, I'm going to eat my meal now. So. Yeah, it's Virginia. Of course, it's Cab Franc. Get over yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Use that specifically. Yes. <laughs> oh, it doesn't taste like green bell pepper. They should be black pepper, but, you know, you never know. I did, it was it was funny because we left, we left like 10 years ago, and Virginia had a, was struggling, even though there were, there's so many wineries in Virginia, and it's great. It can be really great. Just like it's amazing for apples, but um, yeah, it was funny going to California, and I think the first one we walked into, and it was like Cab Franc was on the on the menu, and I'm just like, I can't get, like, I can't, I can't, I can't run away, it. I can't run away fast <laughs> enough. Of course, it was amazing because it was like a really old winery, and they'd been working on it for a while. But I'm just like, oh my god, I had I had been so. Um, yeah, it's just so jaded by by some of the wines here, unfortunately. So I'm glad to see that at least at least in part of the Virginia. And honestly, those cideries have been very similar down there. And and the community in that area of the Charlottesville Albemarle area has been, I mean, it's really, I think, keeps the whole industry going because Northern Virginia is not doing much. Something, something to learn from <laughs> bless that. You, yeah. um, I know there's, there's, there are cideries. We just visited a couple of Middleburg, bless them. I'm excited to see what they do. But yeah, it's got to be a, a, a huge up, uphill battle of sorts. That's got a fighting amongst yourselves. Not okay. Not cool. No, not even like, I mean, translate that to even, I don't want to fight another distributor, right? Like I want it to be a teamwork. Here's a good example. So, well, yeah, when Sharon, when you're listening, that's my (laughs) boss, Bridget, one of my closest friends. Mm -hmm. And she's one of the ones that got fired in the middle of COVID, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to figure out she'd just gotten married to her wife, Sydney. Sydney also worked for the vineyard. So Sydney had to get fired because if you're going to fire one, you got to fire the wife. And so they're all of 29 years old, you know, like they'd been there, thought they'd be there for the next 15 years. And so they've shaken out to their spots and Bridget has started to follow my model because she essentially helped open a brand new vineyard. Like you said, vineyards are, they're popping up mm-hmm. everywhere, everywhere and there's some beautiful venues and it's great. But Bridget was like, I want to start getting the brand out there like you did with the other two. And I was like, a hundred percent you should like, and I've tried through their wines. They're great wines. Helps. It does help. It does help <laughs> when they're drinkable and their wines are fantastic. And so I have started making introductions for Bridget with her wines mm. to my accounts that had started with me when I was with the other Virginia vineyards, because she's just, it, she'd never been comfortable in that scenario of just walking in somewhere no, it's hard. and, yeah. you know, and so 
I would want other distributors to help one another out of, I know this product is great. You respect my opinion because I try to bring you only the best things. And I think this would really fit in the void, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and we only carry one Virginia vineyard in our entire book. So you guys do. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. King family. Yes. Nice. <laughs> also right by UVA. Wahoo. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's just, you, you want that, like, I have a distributor friend that also has mm -hmm. passed me along something. She was about to go on maternity leave and was just like, mm -hmm. hey, and we've she's a smaller distributor that she works for. And she was like, they're probably going to need, like, and so she'll text me like, hey, here's Aww. the contact. Like, nice. Yeah. It's what you would hope to see across the board, but it's very rare. It, oh, yes, it is. Rare. So that's that's the key to success, though, is relationships, whether it's you and an account or you and a colleague or you, and, you know, it should... All of a sudden, all of that teamwork creates like a solid moving forward in your job. But yeah, yeah, Good it's takeaway. not guaranteed. No, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately. And I, I think there's something else that's not guaranteed is you touched on it slightly uh, with Justice Scalia. But um, <laughs> as far as R.I.P. man being R.I.P. Yes. Uh, the being probably the one woman out there selling. I know that was my issue for a lot of these times. I mean, I think it may be more for us in California in the beer world, but as you've gone through all of these different, <laughs> these different chapters in your life of sales, <laughs> you know, you, you really have created, I think a very distinct approach to dealing with men and you've been working in a lot in the male dominated worlds. And, you know, part of this podcast, it's, it's continuing that conversation because I, it's not a bitch fest, but I think people don't realize that it, it creates a challenge that if you are male, you just do not even, you don't realize no, because you don't have to deal with it. <laughs> the preconceived notion of when you walk in and, you know, it, and there's, there's actually to that point, there's not a lot of wine buyers at places that are women. There's obviously women that work at all of these places, mm -hmm. but generally, you know, even if, let's say the person that's selling it the most at the bar and also does the buying for say the beer and things like that. The general manager, if he is a man takes care of the wine buying Interesting. because they seem to think that like, no, I'll take on this because it will bring in more money or give any, throw a dart at something. And so the amount of times that I've walked in and said, wait a minute, I met her, which hmm. is how we set this up. But now I'm doing the tasting with him which I usually will then turn to said her and say, well, you're joining us, right? Because I, I did want to make sure everybody, and then I make sure to go to the sales team at that point, your front lines are the bartenders and the ones that want to make sure that like you appreciate us because we're selling your product. And so I not go around said guy that just came out of the office and said, I'll handle, you know, the mm -hmm. wine buying, but it's, no, no, they're the people that are actually taking care of the, with, you know, feet on the ground and like presenting it to people and stuff. And so selling I'm not sure it. why you're part of the conversation mm -hmm. if you're not actually doing any of the selling on the other side. So you've seen that a lot. Oh, yeah. More so, more so on the other side of the bar. Yeah. From where you are. Yep. So that sounds like them just like asserting themselves and leaning yes. too far in. <laughs> they right. need to. I have to say, you started at like kind of the the most pure form of this as a cart girl. Yes. At a golf is, course. Oh. So I feel like the utilizing the feminine uh, charm has probably been something that you've had to deal with for a very, very long time. Have you really had a lot of challenge with with kind of that a sexist, I don't know, 
issue? Well, I, I think to, to the extent of like being a beverage cart uh, person, <laughs> uh, I, I took the, not strategy, but it's just me. I would pull up and I'm sure, you know, they would assume some sort of, oh, this will be fun. And immediately before they could say anything, I'd say, mm-hmm. your stroke sucks. And if you don't buy a six pack, then I don't think you should play golf anymore. Oh like, and God, so I, I created what some and some didn't like it, you know, like there's not to say that I was a hundred percent success rate to this really fun trash talk <laughs> in your face. Like I do, don't come at me with any, so like it, I'm here to sell you booze and I'm here to criticize you because before you try to come at me and have any sort of conversation that like, no, thanks. And in a fun relationship back and forth, like Mm. that can also be enjoy. I'm not saying like take flirtatious out of it, I guess. Like you you still can have fun conversations with somebody that like you walk away and you're like, that was funny. You know, like it's. But it's meeting them on the same level. But yeah, don't try to all of a sudden call mm. me sweetie or honey and like, can you pour me a beer? Like, <laughs> mm, sir, no, no, I cannot. <laughs> now you're going to tip me double because I'm not only offended by your golf game, but that you thought you could call me some sort of cute little bitty. So to that extent, and and not everybody can do that either. I know. I'm, that is, No, that is so very rare. Right. You have a and, gift, my friend. <laughs> you have a gift. Sorry, men, (laughs) you're not going to get much by me without getting it right back in your face. And again, right. It's not a bitch fest, but it's, it's like understanding like, nope, I'm a person, you're a person. We can do this on the mutual respect side, but don't think you're all of a sudden going to assume I get to talk to you like that, or I get to treat you like that, or you don't really know what you're talking about because I know here's a good example. I like your examples. So (laughs) we, when I had the two vineyards, things were taking off. All of a sudden, Matt calls me in and is like, hey, we're giving the bigger brand. So one was the bigger production vineyard. Mm-hmm. One was the smaller production vineyard. Mm-hmm. Both still small, but one had the ability to, they gave the brand to a bigger distributor. So overnight, like this happens, oh. like I've said multiple times, they stripped me of... of my portfolio that I was presenting to people because you were doing so well with that because there was accounts popping up everywhere and they, and you know, so the owner was like, Oh, but she's only one person and we're not going to give her a team under her. Mm. We're going to sell the brand to the team. That's going to have the 20 people that can not only kick off at the account she's already set up, but Mm. they can go. So fine. Mm. The bottom line and money is a thing, but it was, you know, I was never part of that conversation. So just all of a sudden it was, this distributor is taking that brand. You will still have that. And and he told me, like, I'm going to try to make sure you can keep that. And I was like, I'm sorry. Now, all of a sudden, I might lose the entire. And he was like, I'll do what I can. That never came to fruit. I always had the smaller brand, um, like he promised. But so fast forward to I would then be asked to do, like, the the mm. sales meetings for the sales team that took my portfolio. So that's fun. Let me go stand in front of a group of people that like, okay, yes, let me tell you about this wine so that you can go sell it, you know. And the owner of this distributor. Of the distributor, not of the winery. Of the distributor. Okay. So the new distributor that took it, heinous human being. Mm. I mean, I, I wouldn't last 17 minutes in there as an employee of his. I mean, mm. just... And you would hear the story. He treated his, you know, and especially the women in the office and 
even up to his wife, uh, who got overnight divorced because he was dating one of the new sales reps. And, you know, like just things that just one of those things. Yeah. It's one of those people. (laughs) Enough detail there. But so I'm standing and I'm presenting the white wine that the new vintage of this white wine. And Corey was there with me. She's now fantastic at standing in front of people and getting at people. But at the beginning, she was the newbie on the thing, you know, so yeah. like she, her voice was, I'll be in production and here's what you can tell them. And here's the tech sheets. Of so I was presenting said white wine and he kept talking over me and saying, everyone, it's the white blend in the portfolio. And I looked at him the first time and said, well, in vintage past, yes, it has been a blend this year. It's a hundred percent Traminette. So not a blend. But, you know, there's obviously every vintage change that I'm trying to. And as I'm getting back to the sales team, he's like, it's the white blend in your book. I need everybody to. And I was look back over at him and I was like, for sales sake. And if somebody says it's a blend, but you're blending one grape, it's not a blend. anymore. so I just want the sales team to understand it is 100 percent one varietal. Like I'm not lying to the people they're trying to sell to. Right. I'm trying to help you get to your, you know, like a reputation with your people that like, I know what I'm selling. And, and he said it a third time. And I finally had to look over at Corey and go, am I wrong? Or is this a hundred percent Tremonette? And she's, and the owner and my friend, Matt, the GM at the time were standing over in the corner, just like shaking because I'm obviously fighting the owner of this distributor going and Corey came up next to me and goes, she's correct. It is a hundred percent Tremonette. So not a blend this vintage. And I was like, so they needed to change their book. Their books were wrong. I Either he wanted to talk over me to say I'm in needed, charge. Yeah. So you guys, what I say goes, and I'm saying it's a white blend instead of the presenter. <laughs> that's <laughs> I don't know if you know what blend means, but I, I can't <laughs> with you. And that's sort of the type of stuff that where most of his staff sort of quaked in his, you know, wake of sorts. It was, no, that's wrong. That's incorrect. And I'm trying to present you with the wine accurately so that you can sell it on your side, even though I used to be able to sell it, but now you took it. So as that example goes, it's Mm. you've got to stand your ground at some point. Otherwise, people will walk all over you because they think they can. Yeah. Because I just I feel that it's it's so interesting seeing the trajectory of wine in Virginia and then also just seeing your trajectory going from each of those different you really are have been building on each step it seems like to get you to where you are so what is what is the next step do you have a next step or is this you've been here for 18 months so you're enjoying what you're doing what's is there a larger a larger picture potentially that doesn't you don't have to answer but Always. As of right, selling more wine. I'm selling more wine. Um, okay. So that's sort of in my, uh, you know, your mantra when I wake up is sell more wine today. <laughs> like uh, they're going to love it because it's delicious. But no, I'm comfortable right now with growing. And in 18 months, I didn't inherit accounts from anyone in the office. These sure. have all been my, and all of those relationships, I didn't get them all back. The other of mm. my colleagues and my other sales reps previously had that same account for international sellers. So even some of the best ones I had, and even though every time I go revisit them just to say hi, because they're close to me. They're not friends, um, yeah. They're like, well, why aren't you our rep? And I'm like, you can't say that. Can't, <laughs> you have one. I'm not here to, because I'm teamwork. Not stomping on territory, guys. Right. So, not stomping on territory. So even in 18 months, it's growing into new accounts and just 
getting more of these fantastic small boutique wines out there. And yeah. now that I've gotten to know them and meet more of those winemakers, like I wouldn't want to pivot to somewhere else because I'm now passionate behind a handful of the brands that we bring in. So do you have any say in brands that they bring in? Like do you, cause you all are boots on the ground, ear to the ground, whatever. Do they, is there a kind of like a feedback if you so that see something is out actually there? a great question because my sales director, Sharon, who's, as relationships go, I like to try to be friends with everybody. But no, she honestly, we vibed immediately. And she respects her entire sales team. I mean, she'll throw out, like if she got samples from a new producer out of Burgundy or something, and she knows these could be really special wines, she will shoot out a group text to everyone and say, hey, I'm going to try through these wines on Thursday at one o'clock. If anybody wants to come into the office and try through them with me, like I need everybody's opinion. You're the one selling it. You're so... There is, she does not, again, thank you, Sharon, because also being a woman in the industry and being the sales director of said sales team and understanding that I want to respect everybody's opinions. Like, I'm not just going to be the sole person that, well, I like this wine, so I want it in. So now you have to sell it. Like, she sure. wants to make sure that that across the board is, no, I could sell this. And, oh, I'd love that. And I bet I know a person already. And then everybody bouncing off of each other. She's like, okay, great. We're going to bring this brand in. Or the ones that we've tried through and everybody's like, ah, I think that's too many Malbecs in the you know book right now. Oh. And she's like, great point. Didn't think about that. We already have the other ones. Let's push that to maybe if we have one Malbec, you know, vintage. So she is very teamwork effort um, that you are my sales force. So I need you to be behind these brands. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Very nice. Yeah, that's that's got I feel good that you have some say. Feeling appreciated. Yeah. yeah. In life. There's some of those places I talked about. Not appreciated. Not, appreciated. not even a little bit. Appreciate your people. Good exactly. takeaway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Ending on humanity. Please be yeah. nice to people. Appreciate people. Be a human. Treat them like humans. Feed your warehouse. Tip your barista. Like, I mean, just the little things in life. I could not say that loud enough. I know it doesn't. It doesn't sound like a lot, but. No, yeah, we can plan on a second segment, you know, yeah, a month from now. Um, it's totally fine. The problem with me and Jenny is you guys could be on here for hours and be like, okay, now you guys are swapping high school stories. And like it's a, so as wrapping it up goes, I might have to shut her down because I also brought a fantastic bottle of Carmenere from oh, Chile um, that I was responsible and didn't open while doing said podcast, which for the respect of her listeners is shocking that I haven't kicked into that bottle yet. So. That is, we That's probably a, should have been drinking during this, it's a, just well, to have given the Reds the Reds their day. The way it's your podcast, so I can't, you know. I have I have been surprisingly sober for this podcast, considering what I'm talking about pretty much every two weeks. But it it does help clear the clear the mind. But by the end of the podcast, we're still talking in like full sentences, yeah, exactly. so that probably also helps. Um, I will give it that. Credit, it does but. make editing a lot easier. That's for sure. But um, but you're welcome. Yeah. You got her in the industry because I essentially <laughs> took her there to said booze. Um, you did. You junior did. year, despite my I think best. You efforts. waited until junior year, despite my best efforts for sure. Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> and Mama Root helped me to kick her out the door too. So it was a balanced, balanced. But I do like to think that our our uh, our tastes have changed, though. We were not drinking boutique wine in we, high school, but we have at least improved in that direction. Unless I was stealing it from my parents' cabinet. Oh, that's um, true. So your as parents, I, your parents did have really great wine cellar. They really did. <laughs> um, so I guess I do have to thank them also. Thank you for being wine people wine back people. in my entire childhood because I, I have an appreciation for it now. So I suppose I should throw that out to mom and dad. Thanks. Yeah. Sometimes it's nature and nurture. Who knows? Um, you know, following their footsteps, but 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's been, it's been really fun. Uh, just thank you for getting me through high school and you're welcome for being awesome. It's been, yeah, I, I love that we somehow found each, <laughs> each other in the same industry <laughs> to do like ride alongs. <laughs> I love, we did ride along like two weeks ago where I was, I was able to sit in the seat and just listen to you doing your spiels instead of having to, to be driving and doing the spiel. It was an amazing experience <laughs> to, to also just see you in action too, because you, you do have a gift of the gab for sure. And it has taken you to a really awesome place. And it sounds like you've really have found a place. And that is so important to not only have a team that you love working with, but then also selling something that you're really passionate about. And, and it, it seemed like you did need to work for a boutique winery to get to that point. And I think at some point you were even talking about creating your own distributorship. Yeah. Paperwork be damned. <laughs> nope. Nope. Mm. Which any small business owner could understand is mm-hmm. a total disaster with paperwork, um, especially with all the licenses. And if you want to go out of state and all that, but, but then finding a distributorship that met the criteria that you were going to build yourself true. Is, true. is very cool. So I, uh, I'm, I'm very happy to see that you've found a place and found a home and, and your, I just love that your kids point out your your wine. Do you need to go to work? The wine is no, it's Harris Teeter wine aisle, <laughs> I know, but cool. I think I'm good. To see, maybe we should touch base in a in a few years and see where where the portfolio is. And it, it's it's probably very very fascinating to see kind of what the trends are in the market. You know, what you are bringing in is it more reds? Is it more whites? Is it you know bolder? Is it blended? Or I, I think blends have a bad rap sometimes. And so it's yeah it's yeah. If, if anybody drinks Bordeaux. <laughs> It's a blend. It's a blend. Um, there's a lot of things out there that if you see that. So, yes, please oh, yeah, try not to be. Let's do a wine episode. I let's think please don't be label driven. I can actually go through this with you. Yes. While drinking through some and it could be a shorter podcast, but just the experience of like opening your eyes to some of these things are not what you thought they were. Yeah, and some Merlots are fantastic. Don't hate. Please don't. The, the Damn movie, poor grape. <laughs> I know. But one of the original gangsters of Bordeaux blend. You know, like the mm-hmm. there's five Bordeaux grapes. Jenny, what are they? Oh my. <laughs> well, you already put one down in the uh, Malbec. In the opposite. Well, yes, that is one. You also put a second one down because you can't escape. Oh, Cab Franc. Oh mm-hmm. my God, mm-hmm. Cab Franc. And we we're just talking about Merlot, mm-hmm. uh, Cab mm-hmm. What other reds do I know? Uh, think Virginia. Think Virginia. Ah. Petit Bordeaux Petit, is the answer. Petit Bordeaux. Petit Bordeaux. I would not have gotten that one, but okay. So yeah, we really do. Okay, we'll do a wine taste. <laughs> <laughs> shows, shows I've been an insider way too long, and I can't remember any of this anyway. This is great. So, yes, excellent. Um, uh, and anyone, you know, getting into, into what you want to do, what would you suggest going and just – it sounds like the relationships are really important. So how would you – which just starting as a salesperson and finding a sales job and starting from kind of from scratch is probably the best, the best way of doing Definitely, what you do. Cause either way you're hitting the ground running. Yeah. So you would want that to be sort of a teamwork effort with a sales team, bounce yeah. ideas off of each other and not be intimidated by it. I think a lot of people, like if they go out on that first day and they're being turned away cause they're a cold call, they shouldn't worry if they didn't have the time for you that day you follow up and you make an appointment, you know, like there's, right. it's just, you, you can't let yourself get in your head about it. Cause just like tennis, let's mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. if you get in your head about it, 
then all of a sudden you're a disaster and you just have to shake off each one and know something's coming. So yeah. something it's going to come back. <laughs> yeah. It's something yeah. to hit it again. Yep. Yes, exactly. Nice. Excellent. Well, tons of good advice, good tasting notes, good walk through Virginia wine history. True. This is great. I'm really thirsty now. Yes. Excellent. I think, I think that that's, <laughs> we got to go do that right now. So thank you, Megan O'Brien Bishop. It's been, it. it's been an and honor. And now you're stuck with me for the next three hours. But Excellent. Yeah, the podcasters can go ahead and go open up <laughs> their can... given whatever bottle you want. Go open it up and drink it. Go drink some wine today. And uh, yes, to, to celebrate this episode. So thank you for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. And that's a wrap. Thank you to Tony Stuck for the awesome intro outro music. And to Marianne King for the amazing pod art that you see on every episode. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review to help out this podcast. Five stars goes a long, long way, and I so appreciate the support. I know it says write a review, and that can be daunting, but apparently Apple isn't asking for a novel. A simple, hey, what's up? Cider is awesome. That would be more than fine. And for more information about me and this podcast, visit us online at otherseawords.com. Talk to you soon. And thanks so much for joining me today.